If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of January 14, 2024. The podcast that jumps through leap year. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's colorize the news of the bogus. It's 2024, and that means the mouse is now public domain. Yes, the copyright on Mickey Mouse has lapsed, and the character can now be used by anyone. With caveats. The first three Mickey Mouse cartoons, Steamboat Willie, The Gallopin' Gaucho, and the silent version of Plane Crazy, are all now in the public domain, and you can do whatever you want with them. You can also make your own design of the character, or use the design from these cartoons. Which means it took about three nanoseconds for someone to release a Mickey Mouse horror movie. However, later designs are still under copyright, so if you use a later design, including the current design used by Disney, you could find yourself in hot water. Also, Disney uses Mickey as a trademark, so you could get in trouble if you use it in a way that implies branding or implies you're associated with Disney. Also entering the public domain is the second and last Winnie the Pooh book, The House on Pooh Corner, which means the character of Tigger now enters the public domain as well. Tigger didn't appear in the first novel. Peter Pan is now public domain as well, along with Edgar Rice Burroughs' novel Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. You can also download and distribute copies of Lady Chatterley's Lover by D.H. Lawrence, a book that several countries tried to censor for obscenity, including the UK, Australia, Canada, Japan, India, and even the United States until the Supreme Court struck it down in 1959 as unconstitutional. Other novels include The Open Conspiracy and Mr. Bletsworthy on Rampole Island by H.G. Wells, All Quiet on the Western Front, Orlando, A Biography by Virginia Woolf, and Margaret Mead's Coming of Age in Samoa, in addition to three Hardy Boys novels, The Missing Chums, Hunting for Hidden Gold, and The Shore Road Mystery. Films you can watch for free include Buster Keaton's The Cameraman, his other film that year, Steamboat Bill Jr., lost its copyright in 1956, Charlie Chaplin's The Circus, The Passion of Joan of Arc, Two different versions of The Fall of the House of Usher, Alfred Hitchcock's The Farmer's Wife, Michael Curtis's Noah's Ark, the silent film Sweeney Todd, and Lon Chaney in West of Zanzibar, The Big City, Laugh Clown Laugh, and While the City Sleeps. Also, the Three Penny Opera, which you may not have heard of, but you've probably heard one of its songs, Mac the Knife. Of course, later sound recordings are still copyright, but if you want to make your own cover, go for it. Know any woman with a sexy voice? She can now legally sing I Want to Be Loved by You. That's not even close to all of them, but it should be enough to keep you out of trouble. If you're looking for a way to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand ads, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to follow the link to odyssey.com to listen to the podcast and see all of my YouTube videos as well. 
Just watching videos will produce cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. And since Odyssey is always monetized and never censored, you'll have no problem seeing all the videos from your favorite creators. You can also use the library credits you created Odyssey to tip creators and even purchase paid content. Earn library credits through various rewards, including daily view rewards and the number of shares and invites. And you can interact with creators in all sorts of ways, including like and dislike, comment, boost a post by supporting it, repost it, and share to other sites, all while earning crypto for the creator. Easily monetize yourself and your favorite creators using cryptocurrency without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. Ashley Babbitt was the unarmed woman murdered by Capitol Police Lieutenant Michael Byrd on January 6, 2021. Now, Judicial Watch has filed a $30 million wrongful death lawsuit against the government on behalf of her husband Aaron and her estate. Babbitt was a 35-year-old veteran of the Air Force and owned and operated a pool business with her husband. According to the lawsuit, quote, Ashley did not go to Washington as part of a group or for any unlawful or nefarious purpose. She was there to exercise what she believed were her God-given American liberties and freedoms. After arriving at the Capitol, quote, Two undercover Metropolitan Police Department officers followed close behind Ashley as she climbed the stairs to the West Terrace. Ashley entered the Capitol on the Senate side long after others had done so. Once inside, Ashley encountered a female Capitol Police officer who directed her to walk south toward the House side. Ashley complied, walking alone through the Capitol and ultimately arriving at the hallway outside the main door to the House chamber where demonstrators had gathered. From there, Ashley walked by herself east along the hallway outside the House chamber, then turned south, reaching the hallway outside the Speaker's lobby at the southeast corner of the Capitol. So, a woman who was complying with police orders, was not armed, wasn't even moving, and had her empty hands clearly visible, was then shot to death. Quote, Lieutenant Byrd, who is a USCP commander and was the incident commander for the House on January 6, 2021, shot Ashley on sight as she raised herself up into the opening of the right door sidelight. Lieutenant Byrd later confessed that he shot Ashley before seeing her hands or assessing her intentions or even identifying her as female. Ashley was unarmed. Her hands were up in the air, empty, and in plain view of Lieutenant Byrd and other officers in the lobby. The facts speak truth. Ashley was ambushed when she was shot by Lieutenant Byrd. Multiple witnesses at the scene yelled, You just murdered her. Lieutenant Byrd was never charged or otherwise punished or disciplined for Ashley's homicide. After he shot her, Byrd made a radio call saying, quote, We got shots fired in the lobby. We got shots fired in the lobby of the house chamber. Shots are being fired at us and we're sh uh, prepared to fire back at them. We have guns drawn. Please don't leave that end. Don't leave that end. What? A liar! He just shot an unarmed woman, lied, and said that protesters were firing at them 
and didn't say he was the one that fired. About 35 seconds later, he made another radio call, quote, We got an injured person. I believe that person was shot. Yeah, he believed it. He was the one who shot her. Bird was in position where she could see him, and he wasn't in uniform. He never identified himself as police or gave her any orders, and even worse, quote, The autopsy report identified the cause of death as a gunshot wound to left anterior shoulder with an onset interval of minutes. The fact that Ashley was alive and conscious in extreme pain and suffering is documented in videos of the shooting. Furthermore, nothing about the wound track described in the autopsy report would be expected to result in immediate death or instantaneous loss of consciousness, and Ashley's lungs contained blood, further confirming that she was alive and breathing after being shot. Ashley was pronounced dead at Washington Hospital Center at 3.15 p.m. The medical examiner determined that the manner of death was homicide. No police officer even tried to give her medical assistance. And the Capitol Police, the Capitol Police Board, and Congress, quote, knew or should have known that Lieutenant Byrd was prone to behave in a dangerous or otherwise incompetent manner. Less than two years before, Lieutenant Byrd left his loaded Glock 22, the same firearm he used to shoot and kill Ashley Babbitt, in a bathroom in the Capitol Visitor Center complex. Lieutenant Byrd's loaded Glock was discovered during a routine security sweep later the same day. Lawmakers and staff charged with oversight of the USCP were not made aware of the incident until contacted by a reporter. Lieutenant Byrd's police powers had been revoked on more than one occasion prior to January 6, 2021 for failing to meet or complete semi-annual firearms qualifications requirements. In fact, Lieutenant Byrd had a reputation among peers for not being a good shot. Under USCP's range management system, an officer who fails to meet firearm qualification requirements is given one week of remedial training. If the officer still fails to qualify after remedial training, police powers are then revoked until the officer qualifies. Lieutenant Byrd's police powers also were revoked for a prior off-duty shooting into a stolen, moving vehicle in which the occupants were teenagers or juveniles. The stolen vehicle was Lieutenant Byrd's car. Lieutenant Byrd fired multiple shots at the fleeing vehicle in a suburban area. Stray bullets from Lieutenant Byrd's firearm struck the sides of homes nearby. An official investigation found that Lieutenant Byrd's use of force was not justified. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton said, quote, the only homicide on January 6th was the unlawful shooting death of Ashley Babbitt. Her homicide by Lieutenant Byrd is a scandal beyond belief. This historic lawsuit seeks a measure of justice and government accountability for Ashley's wrongful death. Judicial Watch and our supporters are honored to represent Ashley's steadfast widower Aaron Babbitt and her estate in this legal action. Ashley was shot in cold blood, and the rule of law requires justice for her. The reaction of Democrats in the news media to Jan 6 is unconscionable. Hopefully this lawsuit is just the first of many since, as we've covered and will likely have more to talk about this year, videos from the day are now being released and prove that at least 
three people committed perjury in court and in front of the J6 committee. It's time for lawsuits to come flying at them all. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government censors. It's essential in this day and age, so go to vpn.bogosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world, and they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. If you've been the victim of a cryptocurrency scam, you might have a new tool in your arsenal to fight back and even get your money returned. Ryan DeLone lost $100,000 in crypto in 2021 by a SIM swap attack. This is when someone else can convince your telco to switch your mobile phone number over to them. Now, you may be wondering how someone can steal your crypto this way if it's in a wallet you control. Well, they can't. But his crypto was on... Of course, a centralized exchange. The criminals were able to use Del Juan's phone number to gain access to his Coinbase account and steal $100,000 in crypto. Coinbase is also named as a defendant under allegations the exchange ignored multiple red flags and should have detected and stopped the theft. Since Bitcoin transfers are public on the blockchain, Del Juan's lawyer, Ethan Mora, was able to trace the ultimate destination of the stolen crypto and learned that the address in question is involved in an ongoing federal investigation into a cryptocurrency theft ring. By the way, this is another reason why SMS makes for terrible two-factor authentication. If he'd used a proper authenticator app, the SIM swap attack wouldn't have worked. This is why all financial institutions, including crypto exchanges, should support standard secure TOTP for two-factor authentication. So here's something that's been a problem that way predates crypto. How do you serve someone with a civil notice if you don't know anything about who they are? Generally, this is done by having a process server walk up to them and hand them the papers, but that won't work here. But courts have been willing to update the process as technology improves. You can now notify someone through email, or in certain cases through publication, by taking out an ad or making a prominent post on social media. On December 14, a federal judge in the Eastern District of California said that DeLone could serve notice directly to the Bitcoin address itself. DeLone did so by sending about $100 in Bitcoin to the address with a special message in the transaction called an op return, which allows the user to attach metadata to a transaction permanently and publicly saving it to the blockchain. The return message read, O service summons complaint USDISC EDCAL link 
followed by a short link to a copy of the lawsuit hosted on Google Drive. You may be wondering what the point is, since it's not likely they'll do anything about it, but if the person you're suing ignores a notice for long enough, you can get a default judgment. Not only is this a valid form of notice, but it could also force the federal government to divulge information about the case and even return his stolen crypto if it turns out the address has been seized by the feds through asset forfeiture. That's another advantage. A lot of times, victims don't get their money back because the government needs it as evidence, but it doesn't need the crypto. It just needs the transactions that already exist in the blockchain. This could set a precedent where victims of cryptocurrency theft can have their attorneys file immediately to get the money back. According to security researcher Nick Bax, quote, If you get a default judgment against a Bitcoin address, for example, and then down the road that Bitcoin gets sent to an exchange that complies with or abides by U.S. court orders, then it's yours. I've seen funds with a court order on them get frozen by the exchanges that decided it made sense to comply with orders from a U.S. federal court. It may take a while... Or it may never happen if the funds are never seized or moved through a centralized exchange, but at least for some, they can be made whole again. Good on the courts for keeping up with the technology. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttletwins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain or regulations passed in the name of safety and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. And now it's time to contextualize this week's Biggest Bogan Emitter. And this week it goes to former U.S. Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn. And if you remember that name, he was one of the ones we covered as having lied under oath about the events of January 6. Turns out, he's a lot worse than we thought. Dunn and Special Agent David Lazarus perjured themselves in the Oath Keepers trial, not only giving contradictory testimony, but neither of their versions is true, as shown by the video of the events, which absolutely should have been made available to the defense, and failure to do so is an unconstitutional Brady violation that amounts to prosecutorial misconduct. Dunn's claim that protesters used the N-word were also shown to be false. Weird that none of the other Capitol Hill police officers from that day have been allowed to tell their stories. Now it's come out that Dunn is the one who, with the cooperation of Jamie Raskin and members of the press, faked a letter on Capitol Police letterhead unsigned. That should have been the first clue. The Capitol Police don't issue unsigned press releases. 
The letter falsely claims that Republican Congress members tried to stonewall the Jan 6 investigation. Dunn violated department directives that forbid using USCP time and resources for political purposes. There was also a cover-up of USCP disciplinary actions against Dunn that happened before he testified, which also should have been available to the defense to impugn his credibility. But more than that, Dunn displayed major anger issues and even delusional behavior that caused higher-ranking officers to intervene. Now, Dunn has announced that he's running for Congress. In his campaign video, he's standing in the middle of a staged and incredibly inaccurate recreation of the Jan 6 occupation, even though he purportedly has PTSD about the whole thing. Even though two months ago, the Blaze had already created a video exposing his real behavior on that day. They show that Dunn had a history of anger issues and therapy that predated January 6, issues that were on display that day. Anger, seeing things, imagining things, and doing everything he could to escalate the situation. One of the incidents took place in an area known as the Crypt at the top of the stairwell. This is the area both Dunn and Lazarus lied about in the Oath Keepers trial. Dunn was surrounded by D.C. Metro police officers when suddenly, and for no apparent reason, he starts yelling and swearing. He turns to a couple of people who are way down the hall from him, who are just standing around, and screams, You'll be finished in one fucking minute. You're fucking hurting us. Get the fuck out of here. Nobody was engaged in any violence where he was at that time. That was when USCP Captain Ben Smith went to him and put his hand on his shoulder to calm him down. Just a couple of minutes later, Dunn started running towards the stairwell. As he runs, he accidentally hits the mag release on his M4. Three other officers run over to him. One picks it up and hands it to him. Then he runs right up to the top of the stairs. Keep in mind that, at that point, he'd been fighting with no one. Dunn runs towards the Oath Keepers and shouts over his radio, Officers down. Oathkeeper Ken Harrelson said, Really? Dunn said, Yes, they're pulling them out on stretchers. They're fucking us up. There was no fighting to be seen on the video anywhere at that point, and no officers down. Not a single officer was pulled out on a stretcher that day. We then see he lied in his book about what happened at the rotunda. He claimed, quote, there was one particular rioter wheezing against a wall. He couldn't breathe because he was overcome with pepper spray. He's saying, I can't breathe. An officer comes over to him and says, Can I help you, sir? The officer gave him a bottle of water so he could wash off some of the shit that was irritating him. I ran over and snatched the bottle out of the dude's hand and threw it halfway across the rotunda. I said, Fuck you, get the fuck out. And I pushed him. These were the fuckers who were beating my fellow officers. Fuck him. Fuck all of them. The actual scene was... a little different. Dunn comes in. There's no protester leaning anywhere, but there is one sitting in the middle of the floor with a bottle of water surrounded by police. Dunn, not running, but completely inexplicably walks over to a lady calmly sitting by herself on a bench. He screams at her for no reason, and immediately an officer goes over to her and intervenes, taking the lady away from Dunn. Then Dunn, I guess just because he was pissed off, 
goes over to the sitting protester and snatches the water bottle out of his hands. He doesn't throw it across the rotunda as he claimed. He just walks across the room and sets the bottle down on a pedestal. Then a ranking officer is seen talking with another member of the M4 unit and pointing to Dunn. From the hand motion, it's clear he's telling him to lead Dunn away from the scene, which he does. The lies Dunn tells in his book are just weird. They're not the sort of lies you make up to make yourself look good or whatever. This is the behavior of a pathological liar, someone who cares nothing for the truth and may just be a little bit delusional. The Blaze video ends with a call for Speaker Mike Johnson to release the video. Just to show how unmoving some people are, an ex-user, even after seeing all this, replied to Steve Baker of The Blaze saying, quote, I hope Harry Dunn sues you into oblivion. Baker replied, I hope he does. We'll get to reveal everything about him and the people who put him up to his shenanigans through discovery and in open court which is, of course, why he won't. She then claimed he was, quote, another grifter looking for other people to pay your legal expenses. He asked her where he had asked for any money. She never replied. And an update that happened just as this podcast was being prepped, after it came out that USCP Chief Thomas Manger decided not to investigate the allegations of perjury against Dunn and Lazarus, Baker tweet that The Blaze now has permission to publish the video on Monday. Be sure to look for it. Anyway, all the evidence is clear. Dunn is an angry, potentially violent, delusional liar who is very willing to commit perjury to glorify himself and push a narrative. So he should get along just fine in Congress. So all that makes Officer Harry Dunn this week's biggest bogani matter. want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one customer service. Go to Firmu, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV, anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmu dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's hypophysectomize this week's... Idiot Extraordinary! And this week it goes to Congressman Hank Johnson for very idiotic statements about U.S. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas that he posted to his official House page. Johnson, you may recall, is the one who said in 2010 that he was afraid that if the island of Guam got any more densely populated, it could capsize. This is a uh, island that at its widest 
level is, what, 12 miles from shore to shore. My fear is that uh, the whole island will uh, become so overly populated that it will tip over and, uh, and capsize. Oh, the damage control his spokesman had to do later. Yeah, what he really meant was that the climate of the island would be at its tipping point. Yeah, that's the ticket. Even CNN's Anderson Cooper was unimpressed. If the podcast had existed back then, he definitely would have gotten it. And as we're about to see, he's just as stupid today. So his press release is urging Clarence Thomas to recuse himself from the Colorado case where they threw Trump off the ballot for insurrection, something he was never even charged with, let alone convicted. Of course, they want to try and get as many conservatives as possible off the court. Johnson wrote, On December 15, 2023, we wrote imploring that you recuse yourself from any participation in the case of United States v. Trump, given your wife's intimate involvement in Mr. Trump's alleged efforts to overturn the 2020 election and to obstruct its certification. This week, we are compelled to write to you again. This time, we must urge you to recuse yourself from any involvement in the case of Anderson v. Griswold, because your impartiality is reasonably questioned by substantial numbers of fair-minded members of the public who believe you, wife, Virginia's substantial involvement in the events leading up to the January 6th insurrection and the financial incentive it presents for your household if President Trump is re-elected are disqualifying. Note, not Thomas himself, but his wife. Quote, Ms. Thomas has shown a fervent bias in favor of Mr. Trump, and it is hard to believe that her bias has no impact on you, which is why reasonable people, aware of the relevant facts and circumstances, doubt that you can fairly discharge your duty to be impartial in hearing this case. No, we don't. But we just heard how reasonable this guy is. And check this part out, quote, Finally, it is foreseeable that your wife's earning capacity will be positively impacted should the court grant the relief sought by the former president. From the little that is public about Ms. Thomas's for-profit firm, Liberty Consulting, it is clearly aligned with Mr. Trump's interests. Couldn't you say that about any of them one way or the other? So this is what you get from the recent SCOTUS ethic rules that they passed at the insistence of Democrats when the court walked into their Kafka trap, which they wasted no time in springing. Now, that apparently means that Thomas should recuse himself, not because of any actual corruption, but because they can play the Kevin Bacon game and link him to someone with a bias. How many degrees does it have to be? Let's see, the conservatives will be gone. Barrett and Kavanaugh were nominated by him, so they'd be biased too. Kagan, Brown, and Sotomayor, from their own dissents in Bruin and Dobbs, are clearly biased the other way. I'm sure Johnson doesn't care about that, but if he can do it with Thomas, then anyone on Trump's side could do it with these three. That just leaves Roberts. Oh, but wait a minute. His wife, Jane Sullivan, sits on the board of her alma mater, the College of the Holy Cross, with Clarence Thomas, so he can't sit either. Isn't this fun? 
And what if lawsuits like Missouri v. Biden make it up to SCOTUS? Are we now recusing them all for being biased the other way? So his logic, if we can twist the word enough to call it that, would end up meaning nobody could serve on SCOTUS, and the litigants in this case, and any other case involving Trump or Biden, would be arguing to an empty bench. So all of that makes Hank Johnson this week's... Idiot Extraordinaire! Well, that wraps up this It's Not Rocket Science, It's Just Quantum Physics edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from P.J. O'Rourke. At the core of liberalism is the spoiled child. Miserable, as all spoiled children are. Unsatisfied, demanding, ill-disciplined, despotic, and useless. Liberalism is a philosophy of sniveling brats. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. Bogosity.